Scientists have reason to believe that the neurons in our brains may have evolved from cells found in small, primitive life forms called placozoans, according to a new paper published this week in the journal Cell. Placozoans evolved about 800 million years ago and are a mere millimeter long. But in cataloging the placozoans, researchers based in Barcelona concluded that they contain cells which appear to be precursors to the crucial ones that fire synaptic signals in our brains. This is Pulse Check. I'm Catherine Ellen Foley. The federal government said Wednesday it will once again provide up to four free COVID-19 tests per household that can be ordered online and delivered through the mail. Health and Human Services Secretary Xavier Becerra told reporters this week that the rekindled program is in response to an uptick of COVID-19 cases and hospitalizations. Additionally, the Biden administration earmarked $600 million to pay 12 different COVID test manufacturers to produce 200 million tests for the government to distribute. The FDA this week rejected a bid for approval of a nasal spray version of epinephrine, the active ingredient in EpiPens that reverses severe allergic reactions. The agency said it wants to see additional data ensuring that the nasal spray, called Nephi, is as safe and effective as injected epinephrine before it will approve the product. The company that makes the nasal spray, Ars Pharma, said it was surprised by the decision after receiving an endorsement from the FDA's Expert Advisory Committee and reaching tentative labeling plans with the agency in August. It plans to contest the FDA's denial. And Alice Miranda Olstein recently spoke with Chair of the House Energy and Commerce Committee Kathy McMorris-Rogers and several other healthcare experts at Politico's event Transforming Healthcare, Site Neutral Payments and Billing Transparency in the Medical System. Alice is here to share her insights from the session. But first, here's takeaways from some of the attendees. It seems like Congress has a lot of great opportunity to really push forward with transparency and, and site neutrality so that taxpayers aren't overpaying for services delivered. I hope, you know, lawmakers are listening. I hope they listen to their constituents. And I really hope they really make the right decision to really make health care a lot more affordable and accessible. Hey, Alice, thank you so much for being here. Great to join. So the House is considering a major health care package that aims in part to cut payments to hospitals to bring them in line with payments to independent clinics. What did McMorris Rogers tell you about the current state of play in Congress? Yeah, so there was some drama on this front this week. There was a vote tentatively scheduled for Monday night, and it got scrapped amid the broader panic in the House over a government shutdown and wrangling and votes falling short on other bills. And so it got punted, and folks, including Chair Rogers, seemed to say that this was not really about disagreements on the bill itself, but more about just the broader chaos going on in the House right now. So she's pretty confident that it can pass on the House floor sometime this year. But they missed an opportunity to do it and move it forward Monday night. They are planning to try again. Got it. And, you know, Speakers Wednesday kept calling the House bill the first step in bringing costs in line a little bit more. What are some of the other steps that they want to see? Yeah, so this is sort of Congress's dipping its toe into the site neutral pond, as you will. So it's really what they sort of consider the low hanging fruit. It's what they can get bipartisan agreement on right now. It's what they can get the different committees that always are wrestling over whose jurisdiction is what to agree on. And so what's in the bill really goes after it's only about Medicare payments and it's only about payments for certain 
certain kinds of services. So outpatient drug administration. So like when you have arthritis and you need a shot from your doctor to help that, something like that. Right now, whether you get that at a doctor's office or a hospital, the same exact shot could cost vastly more at a hospital. And so that's what the bill is trying to go after. Now, people also want to go after other kinds of health services where there's this big cost disparity. And they also want to make sure that it's not just Medicare beneficiaries who are the recipients of these savings. Now, starting with Medicare makes sense because, you know, as goes Medicare, so goes, you know, other payers often. And this has support also because it just saves the government a ton of money and they're counting on those savings to be able to pay for other healthcare things. So anytime there's a revenue raiser, that makes something really popular on Capitol Hill. We saw that with drug pricing reforms. We're seeing that again now. Doing this in commercial insurance would also save the government money theoretically because of subsidies for plans, but it's sort of less direct. So this was sort of seen as the low-hanging fruit and people who support these policies think that if Congress can get this done, it will pave the way for something broader and more ambitious. But they also said today that that's why just getting this first step passed is so hard because the hospital industry that opposes this does see this as the first step on a path that they don't like. You know, that leads right into my next question, which is what do hospitals think about this and where do they see the responsibility of federal government lowering costs? How do they see that playing out? The hospital industry is very vocally opposed to these reforms. One of their folks said on this panel that it would threaten the quality of care people get at hospitals. It would put hospitals that are struggling to stay afloat out of business. You know, they were really painting this apocalyptic picture. They are calling for sort of a broader, more holistic examination of high cost of healthcare. They want to look at consolidation issues. They want to look at all kinds of different things. So they weren't really pushing specific alternative policies, but they were saying that this policy that Congress is now considering, they were arguing against it. But, you know, it's really interesting because the hospital industry is really, really powerful on Capitol Hill, just in general. Hospitals are often the biggest employer in almost every congressional district. And so when the hospital industry opposes something, that really carries a lot of weight on Capitol Hill. Nobody wants their district to lose jobs. They don't want this powerful player going against them. At the same time, that makes how far these reforms have gotten. You know, they haven't passed yet. They haven't been signed into law yet, but it makes it impressive how far they've gotten given those political realities. I'm wondering if you could give us sort of a rapid fire breakdown of anything else that you learned during your conversations. Yeah, so there was a really interesting discussion of what access means. So the Hospital Association is warning that if Congress goes for these cost reforms, they will threaten access. They will threaten patient access to services at hospitals. But the others on the panel were saying that people don't have that access now because they can't afford the services. They can't afford to pay hundreds of dollars out of pocket. And so just because a hospital exists and exists, you know, in your neighborhood, in your area, doesn't mean access if you can't afford to go there for care. And so I think that was a really interesting tension that we're going to continue to see playing out on K Street and on Capitol Hill. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for sitting down with us today, Alice. Great to be here. Also, be sure to check out our new Politico podcast, Power Play, launching today. 
The show introduces you to the top global leaders in business, politics, and culture, and dives deep into their thoughts on the pressing news around them. So be sure to check out Power Play wherever you get your podcasts. Power Play is Politico's new transatlantic podcast hosted by me, Anne McElvoy. Each week, we take listeners inside the minds of those who wield power across the Atlantic and beyond to better understand the choices they make and how that shapes the news agenda. There are some things, Anne, that even the chief of MI6 finds it a little bit difficult to try and interpret in terms of who's in and who's out. So there's one podcast to follow now. It's Power Play. Every Thursday morning, as of September the 21st. See you then. And that's our show. Our music is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Afra Abdullah is our producer. Annie Reese and Alex Keeney are our senior producers. Our healthcare team editors are Eli Reyes, Dan Goldberg, Barbara Van Tyne, Beth Belton, and Sean Zeller. I'm Catherine Ellen Foley. Subscribe and follow Pulse Check for a new episode every day. And subscribe to our newsletters where you can read this reporting. Pulse, Future Pulse, and Prescription Pulse. Thanks for listening.